Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of John, chapter 21, verses 3 through 19. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, Follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peter went back to his old job. Ministry had been rough on him for the past couple of weeks. He thought his boss was going to be king of Israel. Then his boss was killed, only it turned out his boss came back to life which is kind of embarrassing for Peter because just last week we heard about Peter denying that he even knew his boss three times, calling down curses and things like that. And his boss probably heard that. And even though Jesus was going through a whole lot at the time, 
He probably remembered something like denial. Jesus saw the apostles in their locked hiding place a couple of times before this and breathed some Holy Spirit courage upon them. But for some reason, it just wasn't taking for Peter. See, Peter messed up big time. And he was pretty sure his failure disqualified him for future service. Or maybe he just felt done. We've all been there, right? You have a couple of brushes with death and an existential failure at your job, and you start to wonder if Walmart is hiring greeters at the moment. Well, Peter didn't have a Walmart, but he did have a boat. So he went fishing, back to the old job and not causing or catching any more trouble. Hopefully people would just forget him, where he'd been, who he was with, and especially the shameful thing he had done. But he wasn't forgotten. Not at all. That leads to our first lesson this morning. Jesus doesn't give up on us. Jesus doesn't give up on us. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. And so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Peter wanted to be found, and yet he didn't want to be found. He was in the hiding for the didn't-want-to-be-found part, going back to fishing at a place that Jesus knew about, but probably not where Peter was supposed to be if he was still on mission. He wanted to be found because he was carrying a lot of weight and shame, and nobody could clear that up for him except Jesus. We may not all run off to a distant region, but we've probably all done a little hiding. Maybe it's just putting on a facade and pretending like we've got everything together so we don't have to deal with the reality of the pain or the struggles that we're facing. I know for a fact that many of us do that. Maybe we know people who can be judgmental or unkind and we keep it to ourselves. Or maybe because we're not quite sure about how this grace thing works, we couldn't imagine bringing the things that we really don't like about our lives to Jesus. Will he treat us with that same judgment? Here's what I really want us to pick up from this section of the passage. Jesus sought out Peter. He sought out Peter. He went to Peter because he knew that Peter was hurting to his very core, and the despair would at best keep this precious child of God from knowing healing, and at worst, drive Peter to a fate similar to that of Judas, whose darkness and shame from betrayal drove him to suicide when Jesus was still entombed. Jesus doesn't desire for us to be kept from healing. Jesus doesn't want us despairing to death. What Peter did was wrong, and I don't know that I would have done any different if I had even been courageous enough to come close to the courtyard when Jesus was facing trial. Would you? He denied even knowing his best friend and his God. He probably figured there was just no way back from that. Not for him. But Jesus makes a way. Jesus will find us, look us in the eye, see right through our falsehoods and performances, all of our beauty and frailty mingled together, look upon the fullness of our sin and the hopefulness of a glorious future, and he will absolutely love us. Have you felt that? Have you experienced that look of Jesus seeing through you and into your heart? Have you felt what it's like to be fully known and completely exposed before the truest of loves and be totally and unconditionally embraced? 
Jesus tells a story in Luke 15 about a lost sheep who wanders off from the safety of the flock. Ninety-nine are just fine, but that one wanders off and becomes vulnerable. And Jesus says the owner of the sheep will leave the ones who are secure to rescue the one who is not and bring that sheep home to safety. And because the lost one is found, there will be a huge celebration. That sheep wandered off, walked away, to use the terminology of this series. And that sheep may know full well the dangers outside the company of the others. Maybe the lost sheep is waiting for a sign. Here's something to consider, though. Maybe Jesus gave us this redemption story to let people who walked away know that what he has done for us is more powerful than anything we've done against him. What he's done for you is more powerful than anything you've done against him. And Jesus will go ahead and rise from the grave and seek out one who walked away just to let us know. If you've walked away from Jesus yourself, maybe, maybe this is what you've waited for. Maybe just to hear that Jesus cares enough to let these words strike your ears. That he loves you enough to let a friend share this good news with you. That Jesus wants to re restore this relationship with him because we, he knows we're created to be in relationship with him. And there's something within us that just isn't right. That just won't find peace until he finds us and offers us this powerful invitation. And that leads to our second lesson. If we accept, Jesus invites us right back into friendship. If we accept, Jesus invites us right back into friendship. At verse 12, Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. I remember the first meal I ate when I visited Liberia in 2012 was breakfast. We arrived at the United Methodist compound in Monrovia late at night the evening before, and there was just enough light to unload the luggage from the cabs and make our way to our rooms with our neck-covered beds. You could smell the salty sea air and hear the waves of the Atlantic that was just five small city blocks away. Once the light of dawn lit the compound, we could tell the facility was secure and well-built, but it was also humble. And frugal, as the United Methodist Church in Liberia wanted their guests to be comfortable, but after years of civil war had damaged the country in countless ways, they had more important demands on their limited resources. So we sat at breakfast, and just as I started to stir the Sanka crystals into my boiled water, I recognized something. Every bite of that meal was a pure gift. The food was good. Zero complaints in the quality department. Everything was cooked over a coal fire, but also the ministry, from the, the ministry team from the U.S. knew that there was not an abundance of food in that region. When the Liberian hosts, new Americans were accustomed to large portions. We ate well, trying to walk that fine line between not wanting to indulge in the midst of the poverty surrounding us and not wanting to insult our hosts who offered us this generous gift of hospitality and food as a sign of friendship. We truly wanted to affirm that friendship, and dining together is a sweet way to do that. Come up, coming up in August, we're going to spend some time looking at the significance of sharing meals in a series called Dinner Time. But today, we at least need to know some of the importance of what it meant to share a meal with another person in the time of Jesus. Under the Roman occupation at that time, food, food was fairly scarce because of the levels of poverty. 
Most people didn't have more than they knew what to do with, but they did have customs and traditions. And in Jesus' time, to share food together with someone was a sign of friendship. Or if a relationship had been strained, then joining together for a meal was a sign of reconciliation between people. We see that imagery in our act of Holy Communion, being invited to a table to experience reconciliation. It's one of the reasons why Jesus took so much heat all the time when he dined with sinners. There's so much to this passage, and I'm not going to be able to cover it all today, but this is one of the richest passages in the Bible to me. Here we have Jesus recreating the sensory experience of Peter's denial. He was warming himself around a fire in the courtyard, and now he's around this cooking fire. Jesus is taking him back to the moment of his brokenness, of his sin, and he's offering Peter a chance to change the story. Jesus offers an invitation. He's not forcing Peter to deal with the past, but both of them know that there's just no moving forward until the past is settled. Peter could have declined the invitation. One more denial, and in his shame, Peter could have walked away again. The invitation to reconciliation was his to reject or to accept, just as it is for us. Peter surely knew that there would be some hard things to face over breakfast, but he also knew he didn't want to keep feeling what he was feeling. Something had to change. Peter sat down with Jesus to stop running and to deal with his actions and, more importantly, to deal with his heart. After all, broken hearts do broken-hearted things. Hurting people hurt people. This was going to be an important breakfast, easily the most important meal of the day. And here's how Christ deals with Peter's heart and hurt. So Peter knows the path back. Our third lesson is this. If we're truly going to follow Jesus, Jesus' mission becomes our mission. If we're truly going to follow, Jesus' mission becomes our mission. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. And feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And Jesus told him, follow me. I've been a part of companies and organizations where when somebody does something hurtful, unhelpful, or foolish, the organization will then set a policy to prevent that behavior in the future and publish the policy in general terms to all parties, but never directly address the initial offender or confront the behavior. It's a very institutional way to deal with a problem by never actually dealing with the problem. Jesus had none of that. New commandments weren't going to mend Peter's spirit. There were plenty of commandments, and yet Peter was still broken. So Jesus dug in, not to Peter's action, but right into his heart. What he did wasn't about a lack of policy or ignorance about existing commandments. Peter was afraid. He acted out of fear, and fear comes from a deficit of love. Fear comes from a deficit of love. That's what Jesus wanted to spend time with. Love. Jesus reverts back to using Peter's old name, not the name of the solid rock upon which Jesus would build his eternal church, but Simon, 
Simon, son of what in the original language was probably closer to Jonah, the prophet who ran from his calling. Simon, son of a derelict prophet, do you love me without condition? You know you're my friend. Then invite the runaways to reconciliation. Simon, son of a derelict prophet, do you love me without reserve? You know you're my friend. Then look after the ones entrusted to your care. Am I really your friend? Simon, son of Jonah, and in tears this time, you know everything, Jesus. You know you're my friend. And for the third time to counter Peter's three denials, Jesus tells Peter once more what it will look like to truly follow. You've been invited to this table of reconciliation because I love you. Peter, you can't undo that love. Now it's your calling to invite others to this unstoppable love. It will take you to places you don't always want to go, and call you to service you don't always want to render. This holy responsibility will associate you with people who offend your every sensibility and cause you more discomfort than you can presently imagine. But it's not about you, Peter. And this is the work. Following from this point forward means you'll feed my sheep in a love that transforms you as it invites others to transformation. Are you in? Are you in, Peter? Shortly after this, once Jesus ascends to sit at his Father's right hand, Peter would receive power from the Holy Spirit, preaching a message of Christ's death and resurrection, overcoming our sin, a message that resulted in 3,000 in Jerusalem believing and being baptized that very day. Peter would go on to heal the wounded, and he would invite many to reconciliation through Christ. He would lead the newborn church. It's not in Scripture But early church tradition tells us that Peter was crucified around 64 A.D. during the reign of Nero Caesar, only after being forced to watch his wife crucified first. Upon his turn to face the cross, Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he was unworthy to die in the same manner as his Savior. Jesus told Peter, following me is going to cost you everything, but you receive a reward that you could never earn. What you're fearful of may very well happen. It happened to Jesus, but even the worst the world could come up with didn't stop Jesus. It couldn't stop the power of that love. Jesus said, follow me. It's our invitation too, and we can walk away from a calling so difficult we know we can't handle it, or we can follow into a calling so great we know we have to rely upon God to undertake it. The invitation is given, and the choice is always ours. Any limits to how much of this life-transforming experience of Jesus Christ we get to go through in this life are almost entirely self-imposed. Do we love Jesus without reserve, without condition? Is he our friend? Count the cost, sure, but also let his love cast out all fear. Because he told us that any difficulty we face in the journey of faith pales in comparison to the joy of being a part of God's healing and reconciling work in this world, a journey that stretches into eternity. It's ours to accept if we become a part of God's amazing restoration story. But it's a joy we'll miss if we walk away. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, We thank you for your never stopping, never giving up, unfailing, always pursuing, looking to restore and redeem love. God, we thank you that you don't give up on us, that when we wander, you seek us out, and you'll restore us. 
We know that this calling isn't about us. It's not about our preferences and comforts. It's about sharing this good news of restoration with the world that so desperately needs to know your love, your grace, your peace, and the new life that you have in store for us. Allow us to embody that. Allow us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And Lord, we pray when temptation comes to us to walk away, to step away because your instructions are hard or we have familiar idols that we struggle to let go of or because there are struggles even just to claim your name, that you would give us courage, the courage that comes from knowing we are fully and completely loved for now and for eternity. We thank you. We praise you. We love you, all because you loved us first. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.